Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode under our new name, Overtime Buzz. A um, little less of a mouthful, definitely is a little more fitting. Um, we're going to get into our first Overtime Buzz NHL episode, but our third NHL episode overall. Um, I'm, joined with Don- I'm joined by Dante here tonight. Um, we're going to recap this Penns Rangers game and kind of the last week, um, the two games against Boston and the previous game against the Rangers. We uh, certainly have a lot to talk about. There's uh, issues that continue, won't go away. There's some things that they can't do anything about. And uh, well, Dante, I'm going to let you take it away to recap this Rangers game and hear about the problems. Yeah, I mean, Penguins entering Madison Square Garden tonight. Um, five, three, and one, fourth place in the East. Rangers really needed a win tonight. Um, struggling to make any ground in this division, and you know you can't get buried here, or else you're not going to have any chances for the playoffs. So, Rangers desperate for a win. Penguins trying to build upon the momentum they might have built from last game. Um, actually started off really great for the Penguins. They were driving to the net, getting chances, putting shots on the net. Um, the Smith was making a couple. Really big saves. Jason Zucker actually gets on the board first for the Penguins, gives them the one nothing lead. Um, assisted from Ruedel and Malkin. Malkin made a nice play on that goal. Um, five on five also, and Zucker's been really hot as of late. I believe that's his third goal in the last four games. So um, really need the production from him. I know he was kind of criticized for the first five or so games of the season, but he's really been picking it up lately. Um, entering the second period. Score still at one to nothing. Kevin Rooney gets on the board, ties it up for the Rangers at one to one. And then in the third period, still one one. As you could see, kind of as the game went on, it was it's actually kind of backwards for what we've seen from a Penguin game where they start the first and second period slow, and then in the third period they really came on. But um, tonight was a different story. First period, second period came out really well, and in the third period you could just see they were just under siege the entire time. Um, Chris Kreider eventually would break through for the Rangers on the power play, which we'll get to later, um, making it two to one for the Rangers. And then uh, Pittsburgh just couldn't get that goal back. That Pierre Olivier Joseph had a really nice shot, um, but the defenseman Kale Andre Miller made a really nice play to block a wide open net. And then Artemi Panarin puts it in at the empty net with I don't know five tenths of a second remaining, um, and the Rangers get the three to one victory. So uh, the Penguins. Looking for a win tonight, didn't get it. Lost in regulation, don't pick up any kind of point. Believe they stay fourth in the East for right now. Um, Zach, what's your biggest takeaway from the night? As I would have like gone over and gotten right in Panarin's face the way he shot the puck in with half a second left. I mean, come on, dude. Like, unless you got a bet or something on the puck line going over, um, you know, over that one and a half mark, I don't really understand why uh, why that's necessary, but. Um, my biggest takeaway really is just the power play. It's so bad. I mean, they they definitely were in the game until that last 10 minutes of the third period. Um, but when you're 0 for 6 on the power play and the first five, <laughs> I think they registered two shots on goal and five power plays. Um, yeah, it's bad. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what they're telling these guys, what they're practicing. Because, I mean, <laughs> you got Evgeny Malkin with one of the best slap shots in the NHL, you've got John Marino, Pierre Olivier Joseph, solid, solid defenseman who can get pucks through uh, traffic onto the net. You got Jake Gensel, a 40 goal scorer. You got Sidney Crosby, and you got Brian Rust or Casper Kapanen, and two very capable uh, wingers. And they just, they just pass. I mean, it, it's this, 
five to ten foot pass between Malkin and Marino three times. Then Malkin tries to do a little dink and dunk pass to the slot in the middle of the ice with three guys standing in the way, and it ends up on one of those guys' sticks every time. Um, or it's just the garbage of cycling around the perimeter because they're they're not setting up an umbrella. They're setting up like a circle. It's so stupid because you look at the Rangers' power play goal from Kreider. He was right in the middle of the ice, and there was not a Penguin within 10 feet of him. I mean, just all alone in front of Casey DeSmith. Could have bullied him, scored any kind of goal he wanted. Um, they, they're not getting guys in the middle of the ice. I think that's the biggest problem. you got guys too scared to shoot who can put the puck in the net. I mean, you've got three guys on that power play who scored 40 goals in their career in a season. So, I mean, I, I don't. I don't understand it, but, you know, that's one of those things that hopefully now with these New Jersey games getting postponed, they can practice and maybe try and get someone to start shooting the puck a little more. Yeah, I mean, especially throughout, you know, the Crosby-Malkin era, that's been one of the most frustrating things in the power plays. They just they, – they're almost unselfish to a fault where they, you know, they don't want to be the guy that takes the shot. And I know we've mentioned before that – when those guys shoot, they're going to put 40, 50 goals in per season whenever they, you know, are, are able to fire at all cylinders. But power play absolutely has just been miserable. The PK also has been really bad this year. Just, the special teams in general has been really, really bad for the Penguins this season. Um, started off kind of hot. I know the PK has never really been good um, throughout this year, but the power play was at least clicking for a little bit the first couple of games, but over the last five games, I believe they're one for twenty, one for twenty-one on the power play. Over their last five games, um, and, and like you mentioned, with that kind of firepower out there on the ice at one time, you definitely expect better at least than one for twenty-one in the last five games. Um, over six tonight, and you mentioned. I mean, even if you don't score on the power play, like you, you either need your power play to score, which would be great. Or you need to at least, you know, give you some momentum, generate some kind of chances. And right now, the Penguins' power play just doesn't do either of that. And uh, that's going to be a major issue for this team moving forward if they can't figure it out. Uh, maybe the week, like you mentioned, uh, with the Devils' games being postponed, maybe that'll give them some chance chances to work out. But I really don't think it's anything structurally. I, I think it's more of a personnel issue where guys just need to start shooting the puck and get into the dirty areas. Yeah, I think the biggest thing about Jason Zucker's goals, it shows kind of what you need to do. I mean, there's very few ranks to give bounces the way that MSG does off the glass or the boards, and certainly that was an aid in, in Zucker's goal. But um, I don't know. You got to get in the goaltender's crease. You got to create havoc. I mean, that's why Patrick Hornquist was so successful here, um, or really anywhere he goes, as we're seeing in uh, Florida right now. But I don't know. It's just like – there's, there's no rhyme or reason why these guys don't crash the blue area of the ice. Um, get right in the goaltender's grill. I mean, who cares if you're taking cross checks to the back, if you're doing what Horny did and getting pucks, you know, whether it's deflecting or picking up the loose change uh, in terms of uh, rebounds left out in front. I mean, you're more than likely going to score or at least create a dangerous chance. And the, the more high danger chances you can create, the better you are. I mean, you look at uh, expected goals save. Uh, percentage or like the the numbers the stats I mean those don't really count very heavily where the low to mid danger chances count very heavily against you so if you're giving up like a seeing eye shot from the point that's going to hurt you but if you're giving up like 
three guys in the paint, you know, whacking away and you're trying to keep the puck out at your, you're more likely not going to stop it. So it's just one of those things that, uh, I don't, I don't get why they're not getting, you know, dirty, getting their noses in the crease, um, and just working hard. They're, they're just, they're playing perimeter hockey and it doesn't work. Yeah. And we've seen that out of the penguins for the last couple of seasons now where they kind of just hang around the perimeter and not go to the net, which as a fan and watching from home, that can be really frustrating because we know what this team is capable of. I mean, not too long ago, they just had a lot of success back to back cups, but, um, yeah, it, it just makes you wonder, you don't know, you know, how do you, you can't really do anything to fix it. They already fired the coach, fired Recky, uh, brought back Reardon. So like I said, I, I don't think it's a structure thing. I think it's more on just the personnel, you know, Crosby, Malkin, Gensel, God, you know, just get, get, get out there, just fire the puck and, you know, just play hockey there. I think they're overthinking it, especially Malkin. Um, get to one of my takeaways from this game. He just, he looks absolutely lost out. I mean, I, I just, I've never seen him play this bad before in his career. And, you know, it might be a conditioning issue, issue, but, um, it's clearly affecting his confidence now because you just see him defer, defer, defer. And, and we've seen throughout his career here in Pittsburgh where he's playing his best hockey when he's commanding the puck, flying through, you know, neutral ice, mm-hmm. carrying the puck up, uh, distributing the teammates, shooting the puck more importantly. But now you can see where as soon as he touches the puck, the first thing he's thinking of is just to defer to his, his line mates or whoever's open. or whoever. Even if they're not open, he's still firing it to them which is affecting the team. So I, I, I really don't know what is going to have to happen for him to get it going. But if the Penguins want to go anywhere this season, they really need him to pick it up here and figure it out on his own. And another thing, you know, not to keep harping on power play, we'll move on. But, um, you know, you always know Sid's going to play below the goal line. He's going to play that Gretzky area. You know, he's going to pass. He's going to try and find someone right in the slot, right you know, in front of the net. Gensel is going to try and be that kind of net front slot guy for tips or um, rebounds, anything, because he does score a lot of goals in that area. Um, Malkin's always going to play that right wing circle as a left-handed shot. Marino's going to play the top, but whoever it is, whether it's, you know, Rust, Kapanen, or Zucker, whoever it is, that last guy needs to be a trigger man. They got to find somebody that has no shame, no problem with being selfish and just shooting the puck. That's something that the Penguins have always struggled with, except for when Phil Kessel was here, is having someone who didn't shy away from shooting these guys try way too hard to get the puck back onto Latang, malkin and crosby's sticks and all it does is create turnovers because it's cross cross ice passes you're going across defender sticks you got you know guys reading it seeing what's happening you know it it's a lot harder to defend a power a power play when you're shooting the puck because all it does is create problems if it's a deflection goes into the corner you got to chase it. If it's a deflection comes, you know, right in front of the net, you got to collapse down. Whatever it is, it, it creates havoc like nothing else. And it's it's just something that they don't have anybody willing to shoot the puck, you know, consistently. Not that we need 300 shots, but we just need somebody to shoot the puck. Yeah, and it's, it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, the Penguins' last power play of the game, they didn't score. But I thought that was probably their best power play they had all night. And easily it, it had a minor tweak to it when – Brian Rust was out there instead of Kasperi Kapanen because, you know, Brian Rust is not afraid to shoot. And he shot it. I think he attempted at least three or four shots throughout that power play. So um, mm-hmm. that might be something that is going to change. Like you said, they need someone out there that's going to just pull the trigger. So I, I don't know. We'll see. But uh, it's, it's, it's definitely troubling for sure. 
Definitely. And, you know, kind of on the flip side, the PK, they just, <laughs> they go through these like phases during the game. Yeah, you know, it's not necessarily one of my takeaways, but they go through phases of looking absolutely unbelievable. You know, Brandon Tanev flying all over the ice, Teddy Bluger flying, you know, whoever's out there. And then they go through phases where they just look like they don't even belong on the ice, the, the power play. And it's, it's sad. I mean, it, like I said, the Kreider goal, wide open. How do you leave a guy like Chris Kreider wide open in front of the net? Not even wide open, all alone. It's not like he really shot the puck on a deflection, but I mean, come on, you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> I just don't, it's like, it's not like leaving Ovechkin wide open, but it's like leaving Patrick Hornquist all alone in front of the net. It's a recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I understand your defense is pretty much depleted at this point, but even before the, you know, half the def- defense went down, the Penguins really don't have a guy that can move someone in front of the net. And I go back to when Ian Cole was traded because he that was basically, you know, what he was known for here on the, on the PK was he would just park himself right in front of the net and push anyone out. And no one ever got in Murray's face or Fleury's face, whoever it was, that was a net. And that that's something that was a little underrated in his game. And I, I think they've kind of struggled. I know they try to do it with Jack Johnson, but um, – that didn't work out. We're not going to get into that. Well, yeah, we don't, we're not going into that. Bag. <laughs> <laughs> we can go just, for three hours on that one. <laughs> they just don't have a, a, a defenseman that's capable of doing that right now. And mm-hmm. I, I know the new age defenseman is, you know, puck moving and, and skating ability, but I don't know. I feel like the defense, they, they just get pushed around a little too much, and that's definitely a glaring weakness. Also, on the PK, can we talk about – I mean, I'm not trying to say that it's easy, but can we talk about how every time the Penguins seem to clear, it just ends up right on the other team's tape, doesn't even exit oh my the God. If I've texted you or said something to you about it once, I've said it a hundred times because you're absolutely right. And the thing I've noticed the most this year, and I don't know what it is, but league-wide – I mean, I'm watching other games, not even just ours. You know, everybody I see, it's nothing but backhanded passes and clears. Why? Like, every time the Penguins, whether it's a forehand, backhand, whether they're smacking it out of the air or throwing it with their hands, it ends up on a defender's stick right at the blue line, and the guy doesn't even have to move. Like, he stands there, his stick's on the ice, and the puck just hits it. You know, like, it's it's on his stick, it's right there, ready to go. We're out of position. It basically becomes a five-on-two or five-on-three because someone's not in the right spot. Yep. You know, like Crystal Tang or who was it tonight? I think it was Brandon Tanev that hit it uh, with you know off his backhand. You know, kind of like whacked it out of the air a little bit and ended up right on Adam Fox into Adam Fox. Yep. Like, and it's not even like he's intending it, but and to me, it's puck luck. It's one of those things that that luck will change. Um, you're kind of just getting you know that bad puck luck, bad positioning luck kind of thing where, you know, maybe in a week they're clearing on the back end and everything's getting out going back down to, you know, the opposite end of the ice. But, I mean, it's been bad. <laughs> I'll let you take over, but it's just painful to watch. Yeah. Like we mentioned, you know, the special teams, the Penguins, there's always been something that's carried this team for the last 10 or so years. So, see it kind of struggle, especially last season in the bubble when now to start the season, it's, it's really troubling, especially with the personnel they have. But um, I'm sure they'll be able to work out of it. And, you know, there's too much talent out there on the ice for them not to. So, um, but getting into one of my takeaways from this game, I thought Casey Smith played lights out. Um, you know, 
especially when it was one nothing. I think before it was the Zucker even scored the goal, he was making tons of saves. Um, the Smith didn't get the win here tonight, but there he was just completely under siege for that entire third period. And mm-hmm. I, I think he absolutely gave them a chance to win. And I, I, I mean, one of Penguins goaltending definitely hasn't been what we've expected it to be into the season, but I thought he played a lights out game tonight, even though he didn't get the win. Um, certainly gave them a chance to do so. They just didn't pull, they didn't pull through for him. But I want to ask you though, what, what do you do with the goaltending position moving forward? I mean, Casey DeSmith, what is he, three and one now? If he would have won tonight, I assume he probably would have started again the next game just because, you know, going with the hot hand. But um, Tristan Jari definitely bounced back after the first couple of games in Philadelphia. But I, I just kind of want to get your take on what you would do if you were Mike Sullivan with the goaltending. Um, I think for me, I mean, obviously our next game would have actually been tomorrow night against New Jersey. Um I probably would have gone with you. Know, Sully would have gone with Tristan Jari being that was a back to back. So obviously he would have gotten a shot there. But, you know, I look at Jari's stat line, you know, game one of the season, he gave up six goals on 27 shots. Bad game. They played terribly in front of him. And that was, you know, four of the goals were pretty much entirely to blame on the defense or even forwards. Um, the next game, you know, he gave up three on six. So it just, you know, his season long numbers look terrible, mostly because of that game in general. Um, but the next three games, I mean, three on 34, two on 26, and three on 36, I mean, he kept them in games. I mean, they won the two games against the Rangers in extra time. Um, you know, even after giving up some goals early or kind of in bursts, he kept them in it, got them the win. And that first game against Boston, I mean, yeah, he gave up three goals, but the only reason they even had a shot in overtime to win that game was Tristan Jari. He stood on his head when needed and he did exactly what it took. You know, the next game against Boston, that was a terrible game for the Penguins. They played probably their second worst game of the year. Um, The first game of the year, I would say easily is the worst game so far, but um, I mean, to me, you take this week of practice, you get Jari's head, right? I think, you know, the big things they need to do (laughs) one power play. (laughs) I mean, that's easy (laughs) Two goaltending and three just get these guys some rest get these guys together figure out what you know is going on and it's it's not so much that you need to have conversations but you know you got to look at Tristan Jari and say look you were you know an all-star last year and this is what you did right this is what was working for you you know why is he not playing the puck more is he nervous to come out of the net because he doesn't know if the defense or the forwards will be there to support is he being told to not play the puck as much, which in that case, all you're doing is handcuffing your number one goalie. Um, I don't know. I think to me, it's just one of those things that you got to try and get them right. I would go Tristan Jari your next game out. Um, I believe their next game is actually going to be against the Islanders. Um, It is. (laughs) They're struggling a little bit uh, these last few games. I think they've lost five in a row now. Um, They're not scoring much at all. They're 27th in the league in scoring. I mean, yeah, I think you kind of have to go with Jari. You have to get his confidence up because, you know, I said at the beginning of the year, Casey DeSmith will will keep you in games. He'll win you some games here and there, but he's not going to be the guy that's going to play 35 games this season. He can't because, yeah, he did it a couple of years ago, but the end of that stint when he was starting a lot of games with Murray, you know, kind of not playing well and kind of out of it um, and hurt, he kind of fell off a little bit. So you don't want to see – Casey DeSmith playing 35 games. I think if he plays, you know, 20 games, I'm okay with 20 games, but 
you don't want to see it get any more than that. You really need to get the guy who you chose to be your number one goalie to be your number one goalie. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess that kind of goes into my next take is, you know, what's going to ha- help this team is the defense getting healthy. And we know now that Brian Dumoulin uh, and Juso Ricola are on long-term IR. So that means Dumo's out, you know, at least the next probably two and a half weeks. <laughs> That's a big blow, but POJ has really stepped up, kind of filled that that gap. But you definitely need Chris Letang back, even though he's been playing some terrible hockey. Um, you, you're not going to win uh, a length of time without him playing. But, you know, he and Johnny Marino, but Mike Matheson skated today, which is certainly a good sign. Um, you know, if you can get him back, you're looking at like a POJ, um, Letang, and then a Matheson Marino, and then probably like a CC Ruedel, which – that's totally fine with me, but this business of putting like Rue Weedle on the offside with Churchman or, or with CC or whatever's going on, you got to start getting some left shots back. And, you know, if you can get Marcus Pedersen back sooner than expected, this team will actually be in a good spot. But right now you're playing with a guy who's played his second game in seven years in the NHL. He looked great tonight for, again, second game in seven years, but you can't ask for you know uh he only played 10 minutes but you can't keep asking 30 minutes out of marino um i mean you look at it crosby played 25 minutes tonight gensel 22 russ 22 malkin almost 24 and ruby only played 15 so you're playing your bottom pair a half or or less as much as you're playing forwards and you can't keep riding marino like that i mean he's a great defenseman but you definitely need some support in there yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, I don't think 30 minutes a night is sustainable for Marino. And you can't keep doing that as the season goes along because, you know, you're going to eventually wear him down. And I think this week is going to be somewhat of a blessing in disguise, I guess, with the couple games against the Devils being postponed where maybe a couple guys can get healthy and get back in the lineup. But um, definitely need to get some left-handed defensemen back in there. Nothing against the guys that are in there now. Like, you know, Churchman, like you mentioned, played his second game in the NHL in like seven years or whatever. So um, hats off to him for coming in and being ready and at least looking, you know, competitive while he's in there, not looking completely lost. Um, This goes into my next kind of takeaway, though, perfectly, is with Pierre-Olivier Joseph, who played 26 minutes tonight, which was absolutely unreal for a guy playing his – Fourth game, third or fourth game in the NHL, um, coming off the pick. He's up to six, believe it or not. Is he up to six? Yeah, that's crazy. Oh, man, see, <laughs> it's crazy. It's, it's crazy how it's just it's, just, it's gone quick. It doesn't feel like it, but yeah. Anyways, continue. Yeah, I mean, coming off the big game against New York, where he had three primary assists, um, certainly has been what he's been advertised and even more. Um, since coming over in the Phil Kessel trade. And with him, I think he presents an interesting opportunity. So I don't think you can take him out of the lineup at any point now. Like he's shown, you know, coming into camp, we, we know we've heard reports about how AHL coach loved it, pounded it on the table for him to be up here last year. Um, now he's finally here. He kind of he started off on the taxi squad. They didn't want to rush him into anything, but – um, I, I think it's safe to say that he has arrived and you can't just you just can't take him out of the lineup at any point now. And when everyone does become eventually healthy, it creates 
an issue. But so do you with the logjam on defense? Do you maybe trade one of those defensemen out? Do you keep them because they seem to be dropping like flies every other game? Like I think it it definitely presents an interesting you know next couple of weeks or months coming into the trade deadline here, especially with the Penguins having an interim GM right now. Like where do you go? Cannot send him back to the practice squad unless his game, you know, to take a page out of Herb Brooks uh, from the movie Miracle, unless his game goes to hell, um, you can't stop playing him right now. And I don't care if you're only playing him 16, 18 minutes a night. He should be playing second pair of minutes, you know, kind of pushing that 20 minute mark with power play and some PK time. Um, You can't sit him. I mean, you really, really cannot sit him. And to me, I would almost be more comfortable with him playing top line minutes with the absence of Dumoulin, um, Dan Matheson or Pedersen. Um, you know, certainly he and Latang, he looked really good with Latang. He put up three assists. You know, certainly Latang missed a lot of that game, but, um, you know, POJ can play the top minutes. Clearly, you can see it. Um, and to me, the questions of his physicality and uh, undersized in terms of weight. Yeah, when he leveled whoever that was on the blue line uh, the other night, I think it's pretty safe to say that physicality is not a problem for a guy that's 6'3", uh, even if he only is like 160 pounds soaking wet. So um, I think, you know, you know what I'm going to say before I even say it. You trade Marcus Pedersen because the Mike Matheson contract is impossible to trade again. Um, the, the only reason he was able to be moved was because we wanted rid of an even worse contract. And now it's not looking so bad right now, but what yeah. was perceived to be an even worse contract, um, certainly half the duration and only like a million and a half more. But um, I don't know, man. I think that, you know, you almost have to think about moving Pedersen because he's the one with the most value. Um, four mil for four years um, certainly is a good deal for a guy who's only 24, but POJ is two years younger. He's playing way better. He's way faster than Pedersen. Um, certainly different styles of defensemen. You know, PD's more of a defensive two-way. You know, he's not going to bring as much offense, but um, POJ is certainly going to bring a lot more offense, kind of like a Matheson, um, but way more defensively responsible. So to me, I would say, you know, you kind of keep POJ top, uh, top pair, Matheson second pair, um, and let CC or Ruido play offhand on the bottom pair. Um, as long as your top four are playing healthy and you got that left right dynamic, the bottom pair will do what it did tonight and play 10 to 15 minutes tops. So um, I really think that, uh, you know, he kind of makes Pedersen expendable in a way. Um, unless, you know, Alvin can move a, a Mike Matheson contract, I wouldn't be opposed. But uh, I certainly do like what he brings and thinks that he really should be the guy on the power play over anybody else. So. Um, yeah, that's, that's my thoughts on it, but you know, kind of my last take here is, um, the, the bottom six, you know, you got these lines, they're playing their hearts out and certainly, you know, Corsi and analytics don't like Mark Jankowski and, uh, and kind of some of the things that those guys do, but you look at that McCann, Bluger, Tanev line, and they are flat out speed. Tanev is just a freaking machine. That dude is psychotic in my eyes because whatever style of hockey he plays should not be played. He, you know, there's very few things about Brandon Tanev that are quote unquote refined, but everything about him is just in your face. He plays hard. He plays hockey the right way. Um, 
Teddy Bluger draws off of it, and you can kind of see him play in more of that speed pressure game than kind of the complacent defensive game. Um, and Jared McCann, I mean, I, I'm of the opinion that if he scores one goal that's not a fluke, his confidence goes through the roof, and he becomes, you know, the best third-line left winger um, in the conference or the division. So, um, you know, you got that, and then you got Drew O'Connor. Thank you. Uh, we haven't been able to talk about this since I last pounded the table for him to play. Drew O'Connor's playing. He looks unbelievable. Um, and at 22 years old, the the cheap contract, he's perfect to play with Jankowski and, and Lafferty. And those two guys bring a ton of forechecking speed. Lafferty plays as hard as Tanev, if not harder sometimes. Um, I think really Sully needs to stop playing Sid 21, 22 minutes, Malkin 18 to 20. You really need to roll those four lines. Um, it's what brought you success in the past. Yeah, and – I totally agree with you and everything. And, oh, man, Brandon Tanev, what a player that guy is. Like, I know with the contract, everyone was kind of suspicious at first, and I know it's a lot of term for a bottom six player, but that dude is just, just like you said, straight up, just in your face, speed, 100%, just giving it your all every shift. And looking at kind of the stat sheet tonight, so he only has 10 minutes on the ice, Two, two and a half minutes of that were shorthanded time on the ice. This guy deserves way more, in my opinion, than just 732 at even strength. Like, even if you got to sprinkle him in with Sid for a shift or Gino for a shift, like, that guy is an absolute disruptor. He can open up so much for so many other guys. Um, I would argue that Sully needs to give him more playing time than what he's currently getting right now. And, you know, the bottom six – was a big question mark coming into this year and they've been a pleasant surprise um, chipping in every now and then I think if anything the top six has been a bigger disappointment than anything you know um, especially with their expectations coming in this season but you know like you mentioned Teddy Bluger's feeding off of it um, finally getting some young blood in there down the bottom fourth line Drew O'Connor getting in there I know a guy that you really pounded the table for and I'll give you full credit for that um, yes, Sam Lafferty Sam Lafferty seems to be getting opportunity after opportunity, but is it really opportunity after opportunity, though? Because I don't know if that guy gets over seven minutes of ice time ever in a game. So I, I think that is something that's frustrating, which kind of leads into my final takeaway of the game. Well, not of the game, but um, rather more of the last couple of weeks. And it's something that I mentioned to you, and it's, it's something I'm going to bring up on here is rolling – four lines and getting that depth balance throughout the lineup. Um, in the past, when the Penguins have won their cups, we, we've noticed how the top six for the most part wasn't exactly stacked. Um, like back in the 16-17 cup runs, Sidney Crosby had an aging Chris Kunitz, um, you know, an unproven Connor Sherry. Malkin had, at times, Scott Wilson. I don't even think he's in the league anymore. Um but, like, same thing back in 09. Crosby was running with Kunitz. You know, same thing, but he was a little bit younger. So, um, But an aging Billy Garrett. And then Malkin had Ruslan Fedotenko and Maxine Talbot next to him. So um, I think the Penguins kind of are getting away from what has brought them success in the past, and that is kind of evening depth throughout the lineup. And being able to roll those four lines, because what that does is it just constantly keeps the other team on their heels, or on their heels whenever you bring wave after wave, after wave, after wave. And 
something that we've been calling for this team to do for a really long time is to get some young guys in there, get some guys that are hungry, some guys that are, have something to prove. You know, especially after going all in 2018, 2019, where you had guys like Broussard and Shahan on the bottom six where they were more of the veteran type. They weren't really – they got a little too comfortable in my opinion, you know. Um, you need that young blood in there, and you need to give the guys more than six, eight, you know, nine minutes a game because that's what you did in 2016 when Sherry and the Kunakles and the Russ finally came up into their own. So mm-hmm. I think the Penguins need to get back to a little bit of that. Because, like you said, playing Sid 25 minutes a night, playing Gino 23 23 minutes tonight, that's not going to be successful in the long run. And I understand those might be a little bit inflated considering they had six power plays, but when they don't score on any of them, (laughs) I'm going to bring it up. So, um, especially as those guys get older, you know, you got to find a way to just roll the lines and keep the opponents on their heels. So. And I think uh, the last thing I'll say before we wrap it up here is that, uh, you know, your call for Tanev to get more ice time, I think, you know, in a way, you kind of look at this lineup and the Gensel Crosby rust, that's not going to change. You know, Sully's not going to move that. But As much as I would love for it to change. <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly there's some things that would be better off right now. Um, Gensel might benefit from playing with Malkin at this point, being that he really just looks lost, kind of looks disinterested in a way. Um but I think at this point, the best way to go about it would be to play Brandon Tanev on Malkin's left wing um, with Kasperi Kapanen. That's not only a lethal dose of speed, um, but two guys who literally play a straight-ahead game. And the only problem I would have with it is Tanev's similar uh, to Erod, kind of like stone hands, um, receiving passes. They kind of bounce off the stick a little too much. And, um, you know, he tries to make those self-passes and just always hits them just a little too hard. Um but yeah, I think of those two guys being so straight line, so quick, um, could really open up the ice for Malkin, you know, kind of draw a guy with each one of them because they have to respect the speed. And if you don't, Malkin's going to hit him on an outlet pass and they're going to be into the zone alone. So, um, you know, to me, Tanev playing there and then Zucker with McCann and Bluger, um, it's a lot of scoring on a third line um, and certainly could kind of spark Jared McCann. And if you can spark Jared McCann into a 15 goal player, um, I mean, you're really you're kind of winning at that point. And Zucker's playing almost that Phil Kessel role where he turned Nick Benito into a 20 goal scorer. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that in a way, that's your most balanced lineup. And then certainly that fourth line would not play like ever, um, which is frustrating because I like what Mark Jankowski brings. I like what Drew O'Connor brings, as everybody knows. <laughs> and I like what Sam Lafferty brings. I mean, those are three guys who I personally believe should be playing 12 to 13 minutes a night. I think you need to roll lines, cut Sid back three minutes, cut Malkin back two minutes, give a couple minutes to Bluger and give the extra three minutes to the fourth line. But Sully's not going to do it because that's not Todd Reardon. That's not Bellucci. That's not Mike Sullivan way. Um, but yeah, I think that's your best you know kind of lineup to go with. But you know, anything else you want to add here? Um, I, I think that just about does it for me tonight, but just to touch back, you know, saying that's not the Sully way. That's why it, me personally, I find it so frustrating is because that was the way, you know, back in 16 and 17, that's how they won those cups. So to see him kind of steer away from that, I don't, I don't know. It's kind of, it's odd. It's kind of frustrating, but, um, mm-hmm. he he definitely seems more willing this season though to be playing the younger guys in seasons past. We've seen people like Daniel Sprong get like three minutes a night. And stuff. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. 
certainly. And it'll be interesting, but we'll, uh, We'll wrap it up here. Um, thanks for joining on the first episode of Overtime Buzz uh, and our third NHL episode. And we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks, guys.